We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. Now in Proverbs chapter number three, I want to bring you a message tonight on 10 good knots. Not K-N-O-T-S, but N-O-T-S, 10 good knots. I thought about getting me a little rope and bringing the rope tonight and tie knots in this rope one at a time as I mentioned these 10 things that I wanted to point out to you in this chapter. But I said, well, I better not do that. But I have 10 good knots that I want to talk to you about tonight. You know, we, we hear a great deal these days about what some people call positive preaching and others call negative preaching. And uh, uh, there is a, a reality that some preaching is positive and uh, some preaching is negative. I'm aware of that fact. But you know, all of the 10 of the commandments are in the negative. And uh, there's much other of the word of God in the negative. And in our day, sometimes negative preaching, they call it, is frowned upon. Why the average preacher in our day would not tell anybody not do anything. Uh, the philosophy of this modern day is to uh, follow the crowd, be a good mixer and uh, uh, get together and become uh, uh, sensitive to one another and don't be different just move right along with the crowd but you know a born-again Christian just can't adopt that philosophy there are some things that I, I just well just off limits to me some places I cannot go that a lot of people goes some things I cannot do that some people engage themselves in and there's some things that I cannot say that other people say freely and there's some things that I cannot look at that somebody else might look at without even batting their eyes and they don't seem to have any remorse of conscience about it all. But you see, I'm a born again man. I'm, I'm a saved man. And the Bible tells me, if a man, any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And when you become a new creature, old things are passed away and all, all things become new. Whether we're willing to admit it or not, there are some things that you and I are not to engage in as born again people. Now that's negative, but it's a fact nonetheless. And I, I don't mean to be negative necessarily in my preaching. I'm simply trying to tell you a fact. And I'm going to find 10 of these negative things in this chapter of the Proverbs that I think I ought to point out to you. You might have them already underscored in your Bible. I have preached from them before, I think, down through the years. But uh, if not, I'm going to do it tonight. 10 knots in your life and in my life as I find it in this particular chapter. Now let's get right into them. In verse number one, we find the first of the 10 that I wanted to point out to you. Now the only motive I have in bringing the message, of course, is to produce sanctification in your life and to produce holiness in your life and to help you find the center of God's will in your life as well as for my own life, you see. When I preach, I, I preach to myself. The same Bible that speaks to you also speaks to me. And the same gospel that sanctifies you, sanctifies your pastor. And the same gospel that pushes you on in the work of the Lord, pushes me on in the work of the Lord also. God has only one message, and the same message fits everybody that hears it proclaimed. And so I'm preaching to myself, and I'm preaching to produce sanctification and holiness and obedience in the life of each one of us in the building tonight. You know, it's a tragic thing that many say, Lord, Lord, and yet, not, yet do not the things that I say unto thee. And uh, the Bible says, uh, many there shall be in that day that shall say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and that? 
But the one thing that they failed to do is the thing that God commanded that they do. And not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, will enter in, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, that's the man that's going to enter into or does enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many will say otherwise, we've done this or the other. But uh, the important thing is, have we obeyed the Lord? Have we obeyed the scriptures? Does our life par with the Bible? Does it measure to the standard? And that's what we're trying to do tonight. Hold a standard up before you in relation to your own personal holiness and personal life of obedience before the Lord. Number one, my son, forget not my law. Now there's the first not. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Amen. If I had only this one nut, I could spend the whole hour profitable in this congregation of that one thing. My son, forget not my laws. Now the laws of God are a very important thing. I think primarily God is speaking here about uh, the Decalogue. We call the Ten Commandments. But there are other certain laws in the Bible. The law of tithing, for example. I think the tithe is incorporated in the law, part of the law, though it's not in the Ten Commandments. Uh, the law that Jesus gave to love our neighbors as ourselves, that's not in the Ten Commandments, but I, we sometimes call it the Eleventh Commandment. It's a law nonetheless. And uh, many other things that I could say in regards uh, to the law of God, the will of God. The law of God is God's will for your life. God's way for your life. God's pattern for your life. And so the wise man of the Bible said, my son, forget not my law. And how important it is that you and I remember the law of God to walk uh, obediently thereunto. Now I say that to hasten to say that we're not saved in that fashion. But you know, the text says, doesn't say my sinner uh, brother or my sinner friend, uh, keep my law and obey my law. But it says, my son, uh, don't forget God's law. Forget not my law, my son. Now we're not saved by keeping the law. There never has been anybody saved by keeping the law. But we that are saved by God's grace are not to discount the law. I'm told in the book of Romans that the law is good and holy. And since the law is good and holy, then my son, forget not my law. And it's very food is saying for you to set aside that which is clearly prescribed and demanded of God in the word. Very foolish thing to set that aside and say, I'll do as I please and I'll be what I want to be and I'll not become regulated or controlled by God's law. I'll be a law unto myself and I'll do what I please to do. That's a foolish thing, rebellious attitude and a wicked thing for a man to become engaged in. My son, forget not my law. Now I want you to know what else the wise man says in that verse. But let thine heart keep my commandments. Why? Because of length of days, because of long life, because of peace, shall they add to thee. Now here are three things that you can reap by keeping the law of God, by obeying the word of God. And all three of these things are desirable. Number one, long life. Number two, uh, we can enjoy peace. And number three, length of days. 
we can have length of days. Three great benefits from keeping God's law. I sometimes wonder how many thousands of people have died prematurely. I mean, not every man, don't misunderstand me now, not every person that dies in their 20s or 30s is necessarily out of God's will. I couldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I don't think that at all. Uh, but I don't think anybody could deny the fact that there have been literally thousands of young men who died prematurely, who could have lived a normal span of life had they not been so rebellious as to set aside the commandments of the Lord. They become wild and rebellious and they ignore the church, they ignore the Bible, they mock at religion, and down the road tragedy catches up with them and their lives are snuffed out. Sometimes at the very prime of life they die and are buried. Now as a result of keeping God's law, these three benefits can be yours. Length of days and long life and great peace. And I need that brother. I want that. I don't want to die. I want to live as long as I can live. I know I have a better world awaiting and I have a home on the other side that's waiting for me, but I'm not too anxious to inherit it right now. I'm going to inherit it when I come to die, but I'd like to live the span of three score and 10, if God be pleased, and even four score, if God be pleased. My mansion can wait. It's not going to disintegrate or rust to become moth eaten. It can wait on me and I have a long time to use it when I do arrive. And so I'm not in a hurry to go. I want to stay here as long as I can. I enjoy living at number 80 Slee Road. And I enjoy pastoring at Tabernacle Baptist Church, 3931 Whitehorse Road. So I'm not in a hurry to go to heaven at all, you see. And one way to assure me a long life, length of days, and great peace is for me to forget not the law of God. Now would I could see that and shout that into the ears of every teenager and young person in this building tonight. You know, sometimes young people say, well, the old preacher, uh, he's from another day and, and my dad's from another day and my mother's from another day and they don't understand. And young people are so naive and so vain. They, they don't, uh, they say mama doesn't understand, daddy doesn't understand. When, when the truth of the matter is, uh, the young people doesn't understand. Now they deny that. They'd say, oh, you need to move up day, preacher. No, I've been along that road. I know where you are. I've been there. Hadn't been too many years ago. I've been right where you are. Hadn't been too many years ago when my children are right where you are now. As a teenager, pre-teenager, as a young person. And I've dealt with them all my lifetime. I know where you are. I know what you're experiencing. And you think I'm an old fogey for preaching uh, the commandments of God and preaching a clean life. You say that I'm old-fashioned because I still say yes, sir, and no, ma'am. They think uh, you think I'm old-fashioned because I believe it's better not to use tobacco or drink beer. You think I'm old-fashioned because I don't encourage people to learn how to dance. You think I'm old-fashioned because I don't believe in drinking cocktails. Now, you can just call me old-fashioned all you want to. But I'll be around when some of you are turned up under the ground with your rebellious attitude. Some of you will never live to be 40 years old. You'll die prematurely, sure as you live. You'll die prematurely. And the one reason is because you've forgotten the law of God. And you become rebellious. I told a young lady the other day, I said, young lady, one sure way to live a long life is to honor your mother. And that's one thing you're not doing. You're not honoring your mother. 
and, and you're on dangerous grounds. I thought to myself, you may not live to get out of 20s. You may not live to get out of the teens. And she was a teenager. You may not live to get out of the teens. With your disrespect to your mother, you might not live to get out of your teens. And I'd like to say that to all of you in this building. Young people in particular. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the earth which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now that's not my philosophy, that's the word of God. And one good way to live a long life is to honor daddy and honor mama. Every time I get around my dad, I want to say, yes, sir. I just watch for an opportunity to say, yes, sir. Sometimes I say it when I don't have to say it. I just want to honor him so much I can't understand it. I, my dad was up here last week. And I said to my wife, I want to, I want to carry my dad out, my stepmother, and buy them a meal. I just want to sit down with them for a while. And as busy as I was, and Lord knows I've been busy. For the last several weeks, I've been awful busy. I've traveled and driven and came, came into church and back to the meetings at night until I've just driven myself for the last two or three weeks in a particular way. But I, I said, I'm busy, but I want to take an hour with my dad. Since he was home, he lives down in the lower part of the state, and he was in the city. And so I went and sat down with my dad for an hour and 30 minutes. The first time I'd sat down with him an hour and 30 minutes since my mama died seven years ago. And I'm not bragging on that. I'm ashamed of that. And the reason that's so is not because I've been fishing or playing golf. It's because I've been preaching the gospel of the grace of God. I wouldn't disrespect my dad to that degree. But I wanted just to sit down with him for an hour and a half. You don't have any objections, do you? I wouldn't think so. Nobody would object to a boy doing that. I felt that I wanted to honor my dad. Honor my dad. And I'll do anything in the world to honor my dad. Brother Addington uh, gave me a tie pin for Christmas that had a, a picture of an old-fashioned steam locomotive on it. I wore it a time or two in the pulpit. And it had cufflinks to match. And my dad saw I wore it last Sunday. My dad saw it. He said, I like that. And I pulled it off but placed it in his hands. I appreciate Brother Addington giving it, giving it to me. But my dad wanted it, and I gave it to my dad. Then I went home, hunted up the cufflinks and brought them and said, here's the cufflinks that goes with them. Just tickle him good and just thrill me to death. And I'm so glad Brother Addington made it possible for me to give that to my dad. Just anything to honor my dad. See, I don't want to die. Say, preacher, you're threatening me. No, I'm not threatening you. I'm preaching the truth to you. No, I want to live to be an old man like my dad. He's 83 years old. I hope I can live to be as old as my dad. Wouldn't it be awful? You people had to put up with me that long, it'd be terrible. Don't mention that, preacher. Don't mention that. That's an awful thought, isn't it? To have to put up with me that long. Well, I'm not saying you had to put up with me that long, but I'd still love to live to be as old as my dad, and he's 83 years old. But one good way to live a long life is to honor your dad and mama and remember the law of God. Amen. And the best way to cut your life off is to forget about the church and join the hippie crowd and become rebellious to mama and become rebellious to dad. The best way to fill a premature grave is to follow that route. And there's a thousand of young persons that have died prematurely because they've rebelled against God's law and God's moms and dads and died prematurely. My son, forget not my law. That you may have length of days, long life, and great peace. That's worth having, brethren. 
That's the first knot. Now look at the second. In verse number three, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Here's a second knot. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, but instead bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So thou shalt find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Let not mercy and truth depart from thee or forsake thee. In other words, the wise man is saying, let your life always be characterized by these two great virtues, mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. Don't ever get to the place you have no mercy. Don't ever get to the place you don't walk in the truth and abide in the truth. Stand in the truth. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Now, how noble these attributes are, mercy. Uh, you remember the Beatitudes, one of the Beatitudes says, uh, be merciful. We're to be merciful one to another. And over and over again, we're to be kind and tenderhearted one toward another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let not mercy forsake thee. Don't ever let the day come when you can't have mercy upon people. Mercy upon sinners. Mercy upon backsliders. Mercy upon some of your relatives that are so sometimes so hard to understand. Mercy upon your neighbors that sometimes you have difficulty getting along with. Mercy toward those on the job with whom you work day by day. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. You be sure to it and see to it that your life become characterized constantly by mercy and by truth. It'd be an awful world to live in if nobody had a forgiving heart. I'll tell you one that has a forgiving heart. You know, as well as I, mama. I told Brother Roy McKittrick this morning, I said, Roy, you buried your best friend last week. You'll never have a friend like mother. And I said, the tragedy is most of us don't recognize it until mama's gone. And Roy tears in his eyes said, that's right, preacher. How true that is. Mama understands. Young people think mama's tight-laced. When mama wants daughters to live right and walk right and dress right and be right and do right. When mama wants boy to be a gentleman and not a long-haired hippie. When mama wants boy to wear clothing that are decent and clean. The boys don't, uh, they think mama's tight-laced. When mama says, now, nah, uh, don't do that, son. Do it this way. Uh, mama's tight-laced. But I won't tell you she understands more than any person in the world. And don't ever forget that. And you might slip and go far down into sin. God forbid. I certainly don't advocate it nor recommend it. You might drift far away from God. God grant that not happen. But one thing for sure, if it ever does happen, remember the world will turn their back upon you. Mama loves you and she'll never forsake you. You're her son, you're her daughter. Even though your hair may turn gray, she still loves you. And she'll be instant to have mercy. Now would to God every man had the mercy of mama. And every boss man had the mercy of mother. And every church member had the mercy of mother. We're so instant to pull the beam out of our brother's eye. And have no patience and no mercy toward them as we do. It ought not to be that way. 
we are to forget not mercy and truth. Forsake not. Don't let mercy and truth depart from thee. But instead of that, I'm commanded in verse number three to bind them about my neck and to write them upon the table of my heart. My whole life is to be regulated by these two great virtues, mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. The third knot in verse five. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Hallelujah. Amen. That's shouting verses, isn't it? But that's the third knot I want you to uh, note with me tonight. Trust not, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That's the positive. And the negative, lean not upon thine own understanding, but rather depend entirely upon God's wisdom and God's leadership to bring you through safely and to establish you securely. Trust not in thine own understanding, but trust the Lord with all thine heart. Trust in the Lord. You know, sometimes the old devil will come and shake your faith and seek to upset your grace. And the devil will tell you that you just don't have it. Uh, brother so-and-so has it, Mrs. So-and-so has it, has it, but you don't have salvation. And he says that so convincingly. And he puts forth his arguments, one, two, three, so convincingly until if you're not careful, you'll agree with the devil and wind up doubting your salvation. You say, where's my grace and where's my faith? You better watch this verse, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Just trust in the Lord. Let come what may, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Though darkness, though despair, though doom, though gloom, let come what may, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Oh, what an exhortation that is. And I bring that to you tonight. Whatever tomorrow may hold, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And then the negative, the not, and lean not upon thine own understanding. You know, the average one of us are, are, are inclined, we're prone, it's as natural as it can be to figure out our problems. Uh, all of us sometimes, I'm sure, have cried, why? Lord, why? I want to figure this out, Lord. I want an answer. I want a, a logical answer. A one, two, three answer. And sometimes there is no one, two, three answer. And we have to trust God. And we don't know the answers to our cry as to why. We don't know the answers to it. Lean not upon thine own understanding. There's some things in this life that you're not, uh, you'll never be able to figure out. You'll never be able to get an answer to. You're going to have to take and accept by faith and move on for the Lord. Leave, lean, lean not upon thine own understanding. And while you're trying to figure some things out, the devil is gaining the upper hand and you're losing the victory. And God's work is hindered while you try to figure things out for yourself. No, you can't do that. I, I uh, preached to a pastor the other day, rather unique experience. And I can sympathize with him because I've had a similar experience. But I had the meeting scheduled for a long time. And finally, the dates arrived Thursday, Friday, Saturday up at High Point, North Carolina. And uh, I, the pastor called me. He called me on Thursday morning. I was driving up 
about two o'clock on Thursday afternoon. And he called me about 10 o'clock and he said, Preacher, this is Buddy. I said, hi, Buddy, I'm expecting to see you tonight. Looking forward to being with you in your church tonight there in High Point. He said, we're looking forward to having you, uh, Pastor and Preacher. Uh, we want you to come. He said, uh, he said, I want you to pray for me. I've had a little tragedy happen. And I said, I'm sorry, but what's wrong? He said, uh, we're burying our boy today at 4.30. I said, what do you mean? He said, our boy, 16-year-old boy, was killed on a motorbike. And uh, he killed him before yesterday. We buried him this afternoon at 4.30. I said, buddy, uh, you better just call this meeting off, hadn't you? I, I feel a little bad about it. Uh, uh, you mean you're having the funeral today? And I'm supposed to preach tonight. Uh, in the church, you're having the funeral, and you're burying your boy today. I said, buddy, I I'll give you the next time I have open, and, and let let's postpone this. No, he said, preacher, come on. Come on. I want you up here. I need you. That's something, isn't it? And I, they buried that boy at 430, and I drove up and preached at 730. And that pastor and his wife, his wife sang in the choir. Boy, that's an order for you, isn't it? And the pastor uh, had the introductory remarks in the program. And I marveled at their grace. And I said, Lord, God, only the grace of God can bear a man up and a mother up in an hour like this. And I said, then marvel at their grace. Felt, Father, my heart went out to them in real sympathy. And after the service, uh, uh, Buddy and I talked to many of the two. And I tried uh, to sympathize with him, tried to encourage him a little bit in the Lord. But he told me, he said, Brother Joe Parsons came to see me yesterday. And uh, the day while the boy lay corpse and, and uh, Brother Joe said, son, don't try to figure it out. He said, it's already been figured out. And if you try to figure it out, you'll mess it up. And I said to myself, if I've ever heard wisdom, that's it. Joe Parsons, we all know Joe and love him. And he's an old man in his 70s. What great words he said to that young preacher. He said, buddy, don't try to figure it out. It's already been figured out. And if you try to figure it out, you'll mess it up. Just trust the Lord. Isn't that wisdom? That's grace. Lean not upon thine own understanding. There's some things that will happen to you in your lifetime that you won't be able to figure out to save your life. There are people in this building now that have burdens and problems in your personal life that you'd give a thousand a thousand dollars plus a thousand dollars if you could just blot them out of your life. But they're part of you as much as your limbs, your arms. They're part of you in, in a way that you can never be separated from them. And you'll never be able to solve some of the problems that you've got. Never. Lean not upon thine own understanding. But trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Isn't that good? I want that in my own life. I want enough grace to be able to do that in my own life. Lean not upon thine own understanding. Then the fourth knot in verse number seven, I hope you're marking them in your Bible. If you haven't already got the mark, let's do it now. The fourth in verse number seven, be not wise in thy own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Be not wise in thine own eyes. There's a proud look. Pride goeth before a fall. And we're also told in the same book of the Proverbs that God hates a proud look. We are not to be proud in our own eyes. We're not to be wise in our own estimation. We're not to flatter ourselves or compliment ourselves. 
No, be not wise in thine own eyes. Now somebody else give you a word of flattery. That may be permissible. Somebody else give you a word of praise. That may be permissible and ethical. But be not wise in your own eyes. I think one of the most wonderful illustrations in the New Testament that I've ever found is so practical and so helpful. Jesus said, uh, when you go to the mar- uh, go to the great feast, he said, uh, don't go to the chief seat. He said, you go take the low seat. Take the least seat at the feast. And when the great host of the feast comes in, uh, he'll come to you and say, come on, sir, I've got a, I've got a seat here for you up here at the, uh, at the head of the table. And you let him bring you up to the seat that he wants you to have. But instead, if you go into the feast and you take the seat at the head of the table, you might become humiliated because the great man of the feast might come and say, sir, this is reserved for somebody else. You'll have to come and sit down here. And that's awful. That's awful humiliating. So Jesus said, uh, don't take the chief seats. Sit down at the low end of the table and then let the great man come and bring you to the head of the table. That's the way to do it. And yet I've known people, you've known people, and the old devil will tempt you sometimes to be wise in your own eyes. And you take the chief seats and wonder why you can't have them. No, they're not yours to give. Peter, James, and John, their mother said, Lord, let my three sons sit at thy right hand when thou comest into thy kingdom. She didn't know what she was saying. Jesus said, those that sit at my right hand will get it by blood and by, by test. And they'll get it by uh, worthiness. It's not going to be an honor bestowed. It's going to be an honor earned. And Peter, James, and John's mother was rebuked for asking that kind of thing of the Lord. So we are not to be wise in our own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart evil. The fifth knot in verse 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth, correcteth that son. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. My son, despise not, now there's the not, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary at his correction. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. Now, let me say just a word about this matter of chastisement. In, in Hebrews chapter number 12, you'll find a full discussion given by the Apostle Paul in relation to chastisement. And we're clearly told in Hebrews 12 that God scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you're born again tonight, one of the evidences of having been born again is chastisement in your life. That means when you do wrong, immediately God carries you to the woodshed. And he's going to lash you one way or another for every act of wrong. Whether it's a big sin or a small sin, if there be such. He's going to lash you for everything you're guilty of if you belong to the Lord. You may do something that really may be small in your estimation. But if you're God's child, God will lash you with a convicted conscience. He'll whip you before you go to bed that night. You'll wonder why you can't sleep. You toss and tumble upon your pillow and God's laying the lash upon you. And the reason he's laying the lash upon you is because you've been a bad child that day. He correcteth every son whom he receiveth. Now may I say this to you. If you can live through the day and act ugly and unchristian and mean and gossip 
and lie and slander and find fault and cause trouble, if you can live through the day and be worldly and disobedient and carnal and then go to bed at night and not be worried about it, if you might ought to check up, you may not be saved. The evidence is against you being saved. A man that's born of God's spirit is sensitive to this matter of serving God. When God tells me to do something as a pastor and I do it, I find great delight in obedience. But when I fail to do it, I know it the moment I fail to do it. And I'm worried about it. I'm convicted over it. I'm disturbed about it the moment I fail to do what God tells me to do. Do you hear what I say? And if I persist, if I persist in that, God may fix me up sure enough. Now he corrects me, hoping that I'll find repentance and do the thing God wants me to do. But if I persist in my rebellion, God may lay the lash upon me sorely and severely. And there have been believers God had to take out of the world through chastisement. Chastisement is a tremendous thing. It's a blessed thing. It's a sanctifying thing. It's a fruit-producing thing. It's certainly not a pleasant thing. It's a grievous thing. But in the end, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life. Now, you can say what you want to. One of the reasons that I am what I am tonight, and I'm not much, but one of the reasons you are what you are, and I guess you'd want me to add, and you're not much either, is because we are afraid of chastisement. And you better be afraid of chastisement. Now the psychologist, the educated man in our day would frown at that. And the educated preacher would frown at my saying that to a congregation of a thousand people here tonight. While the educated preacher would say, don't ever say a thing like that. The liberal preacher would say, that's a negative approach. I wish you could read a letter that I have on my desk. I think I'll bring it out tomorrow night and read it to you. There's no profanity, but everything... Uh, close to it is in it. Do you believe me? No profanity. But that man that wrote me that letter was nasty. He said every uh, unkind thing I think you could think of about me in that letter. Among them, you, he said, you're a prejudice, you're a bigot, you're an ignoramus. That's a pretty good insult. <laughs> you're an ignoramus. I think I'll bring it out tomorrow and I'll just read it to you and let you know what some people think about your pastor. It's no wonder you folks don't fire me. I'll tell you the truth. If I'm what that man said, I ought to be impeached to get Congress together to impeach me and put me out of this place. If I'm all that man said I am in that letter, it's terrible what he said I was. But you know, one thing that makes me as clean as I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm apprehended. I'm still striving. I'm reaching forward, reaching upward, onward, onward, upward, upward. I want to be more like the Savior or daily. I'm not saying that I'm apprehended, but one reason I am what I am is because I'm afraid of God otherwise. I'm convinced in my soul if I did some things that I wouldn't live six months, God would kill me through chastisement if I didn't repent of it. God would kill me. I couldn't survive six months if I did some things of this world. Can't do it. Now, I don't understand how a church member can, can indulge in the world and, 
and, then, and not be remorseful and convicted and disturbed about it. I can't figure that out. And if a church member keeps on uh, messing in the world and seem not to be disturbed over it, I'm beginning to think that church member is not saved. Because God chastens every son whom he receiveth. And if you're without chastisement, you're not a son of God. He whips you when you do wrong. Now, whatever it may be, you know what may be wrong in your life. It may be in the matter of tithing. I, I don't think I could ever stop tithing. If I were to stop tithing, I, I'm sure God would turn the faucet off and I'd dry up and God would take away the candlestick. And I couldn't have what God's blessed me with if I were to stop tithing. I wouldn't stop tithing under any circumstance. I'm afraid to stop tithing. Don't plan to stop tithing. I've tied all my life, planned to wind up. I went to see Miss Whitlock one day this week, and she said, hand me the pocketbook off the shelf. And I reached up and got a pocketbook, and she fumbled through that pocketbook and said, Pastor, will you carry my tithe in for me? I can't come to church, but will you carry my tithe? I said, yes, ma'am, I'll be glad to do that. And I put it in this morning in the offering, Mrs. Whitlock's tithe. I want to be that way. If I get where I can't come, some of you deacons come for it. If I've got some tithe, I want it to be put in, you see, into the church, that the work might go. Now, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Notice it says, my son, not my sinner. God doesn't whip sinners. Sinners can drink and cuss and fight and lie and cheat and commit fornication and laugh about it and have a big time. But you sons better not do that. Did you get that now? If you're a son of God, you better not do that. This wicked world can do that, but a son can't do that. If you belong to God, God will whip you nearly to death. If you try to act up on God, you can't do that. God will whip you. You find out God's will for your life and you get in it. Now, wait a minute. If somebody goes out of the church tonight and God lays the lash upon you, maybe God sent you to church tonight so he can warn you through my voice and through God's word. That chastisement is a reality. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. You expect it. Look for it. When you do wrong, as my son, look for it. You're going to get it. God's going to whip you when you do wrong. Number six, verse 21. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes by his broken and depth of, uh, by his knowledge and the depth of broken up. And the clouds drop dew down the dew. My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. Uh, the good things of God. The wisdom of God, verse 13. The understanding of God, verse 13. All the good things of merchandise and rubies and, and the blessed, blessedness of lies, life. The pleasantness of life. The path of peace, verse 17. All these good things of God upon the earth. My son, let them not depart from thine eyes, but keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Don't you ever forget the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. I told somebody the other day, why don't you go on your knees and thank God? Get on your knees and thank God. That's a trite thing and a small thing and a very insignificant thing. Me get on my knees and thank God. Why? Oh, my soul. Nothing you could do would honor God more 
than to get on your knees and thank God. Let not these good things of the Lord depart out of thine eyes. Number seven, verse number 27, withhold not good from them to whom it is due. When it is in thy power, the power of thine hand to provide it, withhold not good from them to whom it is due. You know, that, that verse says a lot to me. There's some things that we are obligated to in the lives of other people. There's some things that are due other people. Take a wife, a faithful wife, for an example. Which husband in this building would ever entertain the thought that you could fully pay your wife that which she has come into her? That which she is due of. You don't pay your wife, brother. And you are not to withhold from your wife the things, or anybody else, in fact, the things that are due to them if it's within your power to provide them. There are a lot of things. Uh, you owe a lot of things to a lot of people. I talked about my dad a while ago. When could I ever pay my dad? When could I ever pay my mother? When could I ever pay some of you? When could I ever finish paying my wife and my children and my friends? My son, withhold not good from them to whom it is due. There's a lot of things due people. Some of you young people in this building, listen to the preacher now. Some of you young people in this building ought to go to your mama and daddy and just say thank you. I don't want a thing. I just want to say thank you dad thank you mama uh, some of you in this building might ought to go to one of the deacons of our church to whom honor may be due and say to some good deacon we appreciate you you have been a pillar in our church and we appreciate you you've been steadfast and unmovable and we appreciate you as one of the leaders of tabernacle baptist church i think there's certain things due some of these men. Amen. Some of you might ought to uh, pay that which is due uh, to some singer. The Tyler trio that sang a moment ago. The Faith trio that sang a moment ago. Brother Melvin that sang the solo so wonderfully. So that Brother Don who sang so wonderfully. And the other groups that sing in our church. It might be that God would expect you to say a word of appreciation to whom it's due. Especially if it's within your power to pay it. Now you can say that. You can do that. And withhold not good from them to whom it is due. And if God puts it upon your heart to say thank you. If God puts it upon the heart, your heart to say we appreciate you. Then don't withhold that. You know when you come to die, you'll not smell the roses on your casket. And they may cover your grave a foot thick with beautiful flowers. But you will not smell one of them, nor see them, of course. You're dead. But I'll tell you something you can do before death invades and takes away a loved one. You can say thank you. You can say I appreciate you. You can say may the Lord bless you. And I believe if I was you, I'd render what's due along that line. Amen. Amen. You know, 
a thank you is one of the most wonderful things in the world. Mothers ought to teach their children to say thank you. When somebody is kind, children ought to say thank you. Pastors ought to teach their people to be appreciative people, to say thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And you ought to teach yourself to be courteous and thankful and expressive. My son, withhold not good from them to whom it is due, if it's within your power to discharge it. Now move on, number eight, in verse number uh, 29. Despise not evil, or devise rather, devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Devise not evil. Don't scheme against your neighbor. He's your neighbor. Devise no evil against your neighbor. Don't think any evil thing about him. Don't plan any evil thing to hurt him. But be thoughtful of your neighbor. Despise not evil. Devise not evil against thy neighbor. And number nine, verse 30, strive not with a man without cause if he have done thee no harm. Strive thine not. Strive not with a man without cause. Now, it's a terrible thing for a person to be crossed up with a man without a cause. Or crossed up in fellowship with somebody on the job or the church or in your family or in your community without a cause. That's wrong. Strive not with a man without a cause. Be at peace as much as in you is. Be at peace with every person in the earth. And then number 10 in verse 31, envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Envy thou not the oppressor. That's the big man. That's the man that thinks he's everything. He's the forward man in verse 32. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he thinks he, uh, if he were to die, God go out of business. He's that important. He's the oppressor of everybody he can oppress. On the job, in the church, in, this, in the family, or anywhere else. He's the oppressor. He's got a, a death grip on everybody. Now, you're not to envy that man. You're not to be like him. God forbid. You're not to envy that man. Not at all. If you're to envy anybody, you're to envy a godly, meek, humble man. Not the oppressor. Now, here are ten knots for you and me. And let's apply them. Let's, let's uh, ad adapt them to our lives and pattern our lives and, and tighten down our lives. If I've plowed close to the corn in your life, in your soul, then don't avoid it, but respond to it. And leave the church tonight sanctified and made holy by the ten knots that I've mentioned in this particular chapter of the book of the Proverbs. And if you go out of this building more sanctified, more in the center of God's will, then this hour together has been worth every bit of the energy and the effort and the time to make it a reality. We will bow our heads and pray. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.